Welcome back, guys, to the Bannerman. This is the first episode of 2018, and unfortunately, my usual co-host Vardy can't be here for this one, as he's dealing with a family situation. Vardy, if you're listening, we're thinking about you and your family, and we can't wait to have you back, bud. So, for the first time, we have a guest on the Bannerman, and I'd like to welcome Jack Muller to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Jack. No problem. Glad, glad to be here. So, if you don't mind, man, uh, give us a little bit about you uh your king's fan resume so to speak how long have you been a fan how did you become a fan right well i like what we were talking about before the show i, I grew up uh, on the east coast in virginia and uh, we didn't have a hockey team so you're kind of a free agent kind of pick whoever you want right. but way back when i was uh, a young little five-year-old a guy by the name of wayne gretzky was traded to the kings and he was kind of you know it was it changed hockey forever especially in la in the united states all of a sudden this this skinny little Canadian guy, this all this star power, and everyone was talking about Gretzky and, and the Kings and the colors. And so I was a kid, I was impressionable, so I jumped on board. I Gretzky was the only hockey player I knew, and I liked the Kings logo and color, so I just stuck with them all these years. Had some rough years there, kind of early two thousand ishes to about two thousand ten, but stuck with it. And you know, it's 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 been fun the past five six years. Yeah, I've kind of blocked out those years, those uh, 2000s, <laughs> those, uh, uh, I, I don't know if I want to get into it. But yeah, I have heard of Wayne Gretzky. And uh, t- to tell you the truth, that's probably a big reason why I got into hockey myself. Um, played hockey, watched hockey, all that. My dad was a Kings fan way before. But uh, yeah, that really, really got me hooked as well. So I call, you know what I call our generation Gretzky's kids cuz that's really that's yeah, who we are. All these all these players in LA, all these hockey fans in LA, that's probably where it started. So, but uh yeah, you're a long-time fan. Obviously, you know what you're talking about. Your videos and stuff on YouTube we'll plug later, but clearly you have a very good grasp on the Kings. So, what are your impressions so far of this team? Well, I'm I'm glad to say that I I was actually wrong with my preseason predictions. I, I didn't see the Kings in the position that they are now. Um, I think the coaching switch was, it's obvious now that it was needed. Um, It's time for Daryl Sutter to go and Dean Lombardi as well. He made some questionable trades and given up draft picks over the past four or five years um, that eventually, eventually, you know, uh, didn't pay off. Um, But yeah, just, I, I think we can't underestimate how important a healthy Jonathan Quick is. And I was kind of on the thing last year about like, well, he's injured, but you know, he had decent backup. We can't blame it all on the goaltending, but man, oh man, he's he's been lights out this year. And of course, the rebirth of Dustin Brown, it's it's been fantastic. It's been a good half of the year, but I'm still cautiously optimistic because there's a few teams, uh, mainly the, the Sharks and Ducks, who aren't all that far behind. And uh, they definitely have the star power to to catch LA as well. And this crazy phenomenon in Vegas. I don't know what's going on there, but <laughs> I don't think anyone uh, knows what's going on there. It's one of those inexplicable things. I mean, obviously now we're halfway through, you know, everyone in the first half of the season would say, Oh, they're going to come down to earth. It's going to drop off at some point. But now I think everyone's kind of fully accepting. Okay. This is a good team and I don't think they're going anywhere. They just keep winning. I know they lost last night, uh, but they're, you know, I think top of the division, they'll be there all the way through. And it's it's really an amazing, amazing story. I don't think, you know, if they ever make a hockey for 30 for 30 again, I think it's probably going to be about, <laughs> about this team in a few years because they have been something really, really special. And regarding the Kings, yeah, uh, we were with you on the Bannerman. We said they would miss the playoffs. We always joke that our eat crow per 60 is very high and it continues <laughs> to be high with Vegas, with LA, everything. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It's a, like you said, Anaheim's going to get healthy. I, they, they are healthy now and they're, you know, they're going to turn it yeah. on. San Jose's been playing well. Uh, so it's not, I don't think it's a lock by any means for any means for the Kings to make the playoffs, but I mean, they would have to really slide to not even right. clinch a wild card berth. So yeah, uh, let's see what happens moving forward. And you mentioned Dustin Brown. Uh, he played his 1000th game against Colorado and he got the game winner in that game, pure poetry, obviously. It was and 
Too perfect. Too perfect. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's, things like that happen in sports, and that's why we love sports so much. But to me, it's probably the story of the year. I mean, it's funny. Last season, I probably would have you know been all in on any trade for him whatsoever. If anyone took him, I was all in. But now yeah. I, I kind of hope uh, he closes his career out with LA, and it goes to show you know what a difference a season makes and what a difference a coaching change makes, uh, like you mentioned. Yeah, I was beating that drum all for the past two, three years. What was my big problem with Sutter, how he treated Dustin Brown. Uh, just I remember saying, look, if you want Dustin Brown to produce, you got to give him top six minutes. He's got to be playing with Kopitar, and he got to give him power play time. And Sutter wasn't doing either of those. He was playing you know, third, fourth line minutes, never getting a look on the power play. And you could tell Dustin Brown's confidence. I mean, I remember games where he, would, he literally would trip over his own two feet yeah. skating down the yeah. ice. And he just looked nothing like the guy that was a consistent 20-goal scorer not that long ago. Um, so, yeah, I, I hear you. That's, that's one of the big stories uh, and one of the big reasons why I think L.A. Is, is playing the way they are. He's back with Kopitar. He's getting looks on the power play. He stands in front of the net, deflecting pucks in. He's still playing the physical game. And, um, yeah, it's a huge, huge reason why the Kings are, are where they are right now. Definitely Dustin Brown. It's it's totally intangible, right? Confidence. It's it's something that when you're a fan, you can't really put it into a metric. Like you can't go to some advanced advanced stats site and see like confidence. You just can't see that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's so important. And you could relate this to really anything. Is whatever you're doing in life, sports, whatever. It's so vital to just be comfortable and confident in what you're doing. And you could see he's starting to make these plays, right? He's trying. You know, I've never been thrilled when he does these dangles and he's done them historically right you never you're never like jumping out of your seat when he does you know this between the leg stuff but he's trying it again and that that speaks volumes to me and he's been successful a few times and it's not really about just one-on-one -on -one moves or anything like that but just to have the confidence to be like yeah i'm gonna try this now let's see what happens yeah and yeah it's it's it flies off the screen man it's so evident with him and hopefully he continues he's on pace for i think he's he'll be just under 30 goals at this point Man, what a bounce back that would be after the last few years he's had. And, and yeah. I think every Kings fan has a soft spot in their heart for him. You know, the images you remember are him lifting the Stanley Cup, right? He's the first player in Kings history to touch that thing. And he's he's kind of ingrained in your memory like that. So hopefully it continues yeah. because all of a sudden, man, you know, five million, five million and some change for him putting up close to 30 goals. Suddenly it's not the worst contract in the world. Yeah, that's... Right? That's what you expect from a guy that you're paying almost six million uh, a year for. But I hear you with that with, with confidence. Even like I never came close to a professional level, but I, I grew up playing Bantam and Midget and beer league hockey. And even just in in that small little context, when you, you're you play with confidence, uh, it just makes such a huge difference. When you, you're out there and your coach is, you know, he's not giving you the minutes that you're usually used to, or your line mates aren't giving you the same, you know, looks and passes they usually do, and you know it's because you're struggling. Yeah, that that plays at your psyche, and I can only imagine at the NHL level with all that pressure. Um, but yeah, Dustin Brown definitely back, and that thousandth game where he scored the the overtime goal, that was just. It was almost too. It was almost like if they wrote that into a movie, I would probably throw up because it was just like too perfect, <laughs> too yeah. too Disney perfect. You know what I mean? Like how does? But he did it, and uh, congratulations to him. Good to have him back. It's it's great to have him back. And after that Colorado game, the Kings kind of went on a stretch where they played Pacific Division teams. Um, it, it was, I believe, San Jose, Vegas, Vancouver, Edmonton, and most recently. Calgary and this has kind of been a sore spot for the team all season their record against the Pacific Division is 4-7-1 uh, mm -hmm. ugly obviously by any metric but San Jose game um, it was just a stinker man I, I, I didn't get to see a whole lot of it I just saw some highlights I'm kind of glad I missed it uh, judging by everything I read on Twitter and all the highlights I, I saw um, they just really have a tough time it seems in that building and against Martin Jones and then they roll into Vegas. Uh, yeah, the anomaly, the inexplicable team that is Vegas, man. They, But you know what? That game against Vegas, I really saw what they're all about, man. Like, they are friggin' relentless on the forecheck. Like, they, right. they come at you in waves. And the Kings, especially their back end, just didn't seem to handle it very well at all. It's almost like Gerard Gallant just tells them, you know what? 
on the transition, just do whatever the hell you want. You know, just go out <laughs> there and just play pawn hockey because they yeah, no structure. It, it's it's almost like their structure is no structure. It's mm-hmm. almost like he's saying, "Go and impress me with some kind of offense," and, and they do that, man. Jonathan Marcheseau is oh my incredible. What a steal! What a steal, man! I can't believe Florida. Yeah. I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but that guy, man, he creates so much. He he seemed dangerous every shift in that game, and I kind of that's the game where I kind of saw, okay, like I get it. Like this team is just scary on the forecheck. They're scary in transition. They're so fast. After a turnover, they move the puck up real quick. They regroup real quick, and they gave the Kings a lot of trouble. Even though the Kings got a point in that game, it was one of those where you're like, yeah, I don't know if they deserved it, and maybe they got lucky to come out with one. Yeah, Vegas is just and, – and again, it kind of goes back to the Kings. You can't underestimate coaching. I used to always think coaching in hockey, it's kind of overrated because once you're out there, the players do whatever they want, but I have been proven wrong time and time again. Stevens comes in. LA seasons turned around. Gallant, well coached, uh, you know, down there in Vegas, and that team—it's just in the cap era—they can assemble a team full of you know three, four million dollar players without the big superstar, and then they have pretty f- consistent, four consistent lines that they can just keep rolling at you, like you said, just relentless, coming at you in waves. And uh, now that they have Mark Andre Fleury back, healthy. I mean, they're going to be a playoff team. How far they go, who knows? But uh, this team's definitely in the playoffs. And, you know, moving forward, who wouldn't want an expansion team in the NHL, right? If you're an owner, I yeah. mean, you, you look at these results and you're like, okay, so you're telling me I have a pretty good shot at the playoffs right out of the gate with the way expansion drafts are set up now. You know, you look at all the other major sports, what is more attracted than having an nhl expansion team yeah. right now and obviously seattle there's a lot of scuttlebutt about that now it makes a lot of sense it's made sense for years to me especially evening out the divisions and all that um, how pissed do you got to be if you're like an edmonton oilers or buffalo Sabres fans you, you, they, <laughs> they, they've been sold this rebuild for like 11 years and vegas comes in in year one and boom <laughs> they're, they're gonna be a playoff team i know i'd be so pissed i i mean i know it's and not just them the expansion teams you know of the last few years they got to be very upset too and i know it's been a while but yeah the structure i always listen to uh sportsnet um hockey central at noon and, and doug McLean on mm-hmm. that show constantly <laughs> it's just like where was this when we know we had the blue jackets where was this when yeah i was running the panthers it is kind of funny but no totally man i mean it's it's the depth. You mentioned the depth, and they're not top heavy. You know, they're just deep all the way through. And realistically, if you think about it, they have six number four defensemen, right? Defensemen on that team mm-hmm. because they took the fourth best defenseman from every team, pretty much. Uh, they could only most teams only protected three, so you you have the best fourth or fifth defenseman of every team, and and they're looking good, man. They're looking good all the way through. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, in that respect and hopefully the kings will get one on them i remember before the season started on our podcast we said oh good you know those are just gimme points for the kings because they're going to need points and uh, no it's it's not like that at all and it's going to be a battle every game within the division and that kind of takes us to western canada for the kings and it was vancouver edmonton and calgary um not to dwell too much on the vancouver and edmonton games obviously the vancouver game it was kind of back and forth. The Kings pulled it out in the end. The Edmonton game, man, they just absolutely dominated that team. And it kind of happened in a very short stretch. I don't think, actually, I take that back. I don't think it's fair to say they dominated. But that once that five minute major on Maroon was called, the Kings right. really, really piled it on. And it totally reminded me of that game six against New Jersey in the cup final. It was very similar. Oh, where totally. Someone yeah. took a major. But what were, what were your thoughts on that Maroon hit? I, I couldn't stand it. I, you know, Dowdy never even had the puck. He never touched the puck. He wasn't he, he wasn't expecting the hit. He didn't have time to brace himself. Or It was just everything that the NHL is trying to get out of the game was summed up, I think, in that one hit. And I, I saw that replay, you know, 50 times. And you can see Maroon. He, he's not moving his feet. He's gliding right towards uh, Dowdy. His head's up. He knows exactly what he's doing, especially a guy with that much experience. Um, which it's, you know, I never considered Patrick Maroon a super dirty player, a tough player, sure, but not necessarily a dirty player. Um, so, I don't know, two game suspension. I thought it could have been a little bit more, but 
I guess they made their point. The five-minute major certainly helped. And the fact that Dowdy came back and he wasn't injured long-term, that's definitely definitely a plus. Because, um, yeah, I think it was one nothing at the time in that game. And then all of a sudden, five-minute major scoring three goals. Edmonton was out on home ice, quiet as, as, a, as a church in there. It was nice. Yeah, it's. I didn't like the hit either. I mean, look, I, I don't. I'm not saying he targeted the head, but what I am saying is that there was malicious intent when he was going to deliver that hit. You know, the puck's yeah. not. I, I. The older I get, and I don't know if I'm getting softer, but I hate. <laughs> I hate hits that aren't a hockey play. I hate hits that. Right. You know, there's really no reason to make it. You're not separating the guy from the puck. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, in hockey, there's always this a- aspect of you know, physicality, where you use physicality in order to maybe get in a player's head to send a message to let them know it's going to be a long game, all game, stuff like that. Look, I get it. But there comes a point where you have to at least care a little bit about your your opponent, the human being, not the hockey player. And and that's where I kind of get annoyed with hits like that. It, there's just, it serves no purpose. The purpose is to lay down a heavy hit to either hurt your opponent or, you know, send a quote-unquote message, whatever, and to me, that mentality is kind of older now. It's kind of dinosaur thinking, right? It's Let's move on from that. Hockey's a hard game. There's guys going down with con- concussions every season and, and is getting to be a little too much now. So that's why I didn't like the hit. Um, yeah, it changed the course of the game. But, man, I don't know what is going on with the Edmonton Oilers right now. Um, I had them <laughs> I had them winning the division um, on the show. We, me, and, me and Vardy both had them winning the division by a mile. And... It's crazy right now. The Pacific is like upside down, man. It is everything everything you thought was going to happen has not. But uh, in your opinion, you're a big hockey fan. You watch all the teams. You know, in your videos, you talk about all the teams. What the hell is going on with the Edmonton Oilers right now? Well, the, the, the... I guess in the short term, the trade for Jordan Everly and Strom didn't necessarily work out. Um, they started the season off with Sakara injured. That that definitely hurts when you get one of your top four defensemen out. Even though Sakara, you know, I got my, I don't think he's as great as some people crack him up to be. But on Edmonton, you know, he's a top four defenseman. And of course, they haven't gotten the goaltending that they got from Cam Talbot that they did last year. Drysaddle was hurt for a while, um, and just flat out, no one scores on that team except for Connor McDavid. Lucic was off to a slow start. Maroon Strom wasn't working with anybody. For some reason, they wouldn't bring up Jesse Pugliarvi till about a month ago. So I don't know. This it's it's a, we're still a work in progress for Edmonton, which is bizarre because it's been a work in progress since you know t- 2006. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, they're gonna get they're gonna be a lottery team again. Which I don't know. So they whatever they're doing is not working. And you, you got the superstar players, you got the high draft picks like they have over the past many years. But I had, I, I was the same way. I, I didn't think LA would make the playoffs. Uh, definitely not Vegas. I thought uh, Edmonton and Calgary or probably Edmonton and, and Anaheim would be like one, two Calgary three. Right. And all three of those teams aren't in the playoffs. So what do we know? Huh? <laughs> yeah. That goes to show, man, you gotta, that's why they play the games as they say. That's yeah, why, exactly. You know, if you gotta if get it, out there and play and it's, by the way, it's not just us. Like we always say, right. Even the experts, the quote unquote, you know, the guys who live, they make their livelihood in hockey, right? They, they probably predicted the same thing. And you yeah. know, one thing you mentioned about Edmonton that I got to, really uh put a spotlight on his cam talbot obviously he he had a hell of a year last year especially in the playoffs he was really really hot and that was one of the things where i thought was the biggest question mark with that team is like can he do it again because he is not by any means a proven goaltender Uh, one season does not make a career as we know and that was the one thing that i really wanted to keep my eye on and it's not that he's been terrible but he certainly hasn't been that guy from last season where he was borderline stealing games. And I think that's a big, big point for them. Uh, Connor McDavid, obviously, we there isn't much to be said about that guy. He's, he's probably the best player in the league at this point. Uh, before the season, I was on the Sidney Crosby train. And you would think that I would still be because McDavid hasn't exactly lit it up. But I think I'm changing my mind on that one a little bit. I think he's the best player <laughs> in the game. But even he hasn't been there every night like against the kings he was all over the place but it just it seemed like there came a point in that game where he was like you know what screw this i'm gonna do it myself and he started like uh just running around the zone circling around the team and trying to make something happen but i as good as you are man you can't do it one on five and no 
No, and that's 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 gonna be bad for like just mentally for him too. When you know that you're leaps and bounds better than everyone else, but you, you don't want to give him the puck because you're afraid if well, if I give this guy if I give Lucic or Maroon the puck or something, he's just gonna turn it over. So you get hesitant and then you try and do too much on your own. And I think that's the problem with um yeah, it's still he's still learning. He's it's still a growing process sure, for him. Sure. As skilled and as fast as he is, um, what is this? Just his third year in the league. I mean, it's. It's 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 incredible how how talented he is, but um, it, it takes more than talent to to, to actually produce. You got to have the the hockey sense uh, to go along with it. And he just you know coming off Hart Trophy and Art Ross, he'll he'll get it together. But it's nothing. Yeah, like you said, it, it's like just him in Edmonton. There, there's no one else producing outside of uh, Connor McDavid. Yeah, and the, like to your point, they're kind of running out of track here. You know, they catching yeah. catching these teams is going to be really, really, really difficult. With Anaheim kind of getting healthy, they'll probably turn it on here. And the Kings and the Knights kind have built kind of a cushion here, where where they can afford to lose a, some games. Obviously, you don't want them going on a nine ten game losing streak. That'll probably seal their yeah. fate. But yeah, it's looking less and less likely that Edmonton is going to be in the postseason and I guess the question now is is the coach on the hot seat I mean you would think yes uh, but he's such a well-respected coach around the league Uh, I couldn't really exactly tell you why because I'm not in the league and I'm not in the coaching (laughs) circle and all that but he seems to be a well-respected guy so I guess the question is is this guy going to finish out the season Todd McClellan is he going to finish out the season behind the bench I don't I I think I would keep him. I, I wouldn't base it all off of off of one year. And uh, when you talked about the coaches, like it just popped in my head. I think here we are, January fifth. I don't think a single NHL coach has been fired this year. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's a, like got to be a record. Usually we're like two or three deep by now. So uh, kudos to people for sticking to sticking with their coach so far. It's that's that's got to be a record. Yeah, it's funny if you look at everyone and you know most of the teams in the league, you can't. I mean, there are teams, obviously, that are underperforming, but the biggest surprises have been the teams that you thought were going to be terrible, right? So, it's obviously, you're not going to fire those guys. Edmonton is the one that really, really stands out to me. That yeah. you're, you're like, okay, maybe the coach should be fired. But I think, for the most part, everyone else is kind of like, this is what we expected. You know, this is kind of what, you know, I don't think anyone expected Arizona to be good, so you're not going to go fire the coach <laughs> there. Um, yeah. I think maybe Minnesota's kind of struggling, teams like that. But Bruce Boudreaux, no, I don't think he's going to be on the hot seat anytime soon. So overall, when you look up and down, it's like, okay, who would you, you know, who really deserves to be fired? Yeah. And that's, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, uh, good point on that. Yeah, so carrying on with Western Canada, last night, Kings Flames, man. Boy, that second period, huh? Um, I don't think I've seen <laughs> a more one-sided period. Uh, <laughs> with the Kings involved anyway this season. Yeah, yeah. I was I was glad that um, Adrian Kempe was getting some some more ice time this year, getting a good solid look. Uh, again, getting back to the Daryl Sutter thing, I just he, I don't know. He just didn't seem to mesh well with rookies and, and young players. Like they had to kind of prove themselves and and stuff. And I think Kempe didn't get a fair shake last year, and this year he has. But past couple games. And again, kind of with him and Ayafalo, their first real full season in the NHL, there's going to be some learning learning curves and learning process. And um, Kempe, boy, I think he actually leads the Kings in penalty minutes right now. <laughs> yeah. I read that right rec- over the past couple of games for sure. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he has 12 penalty minutes in the last eight games. Uh, I don't think any have resulted in like direct goals or game-changing situations partly because the king's penalty kill is, is so good uh, yeah. but obviously you can take the team out of the flow out of a rhythm and all that and it's funny actually reading up he's actually this has been a problem for him since he turned pro uh even with down in ontario he he had these issues he had these penalty issues and, and the coach down there mike Stuthers, always kind of harped on that a little bit so it's it's interesting to me especially a guy with so much speed right usually when you talk about penalties it's stick fouls hooks trips all this when you can fly like he can fly you it's almost like you shouldn't be using your stick that much to defend and you should kind of be in front of the guy on top of the guy at all times so it's kind of interesting i hope he turns it around uh because it's hurt obviously it's hurting him it's hurting the team it's hurting his ice time and He's a young player. I'm sure he'll figure it out. But yeah, it's it's kind of a glaring thing. It's, it's funny 
when you look at it, you don't really expect a guy like that to be at the top of the team's leaders in penalty minutes, but here we are. Yeah, with that much speed, too. Yeah, it's, it could just be a, a positioning thing and learning the NHL game a little bit more. And um, But I, I, like I said, I, I'm glad Stevens has given him uh, a fair shake. And um, it, it's it's paid off. I mean, his first real season in the league, and he's probably going to be at least a 20-goal scorer, uh, which is, I mean, he bounces between second and third line, uh, which is, if you can get 20 goals out of second and third line center, then uh, you got a pretty good team. Right on, and... Yeah, like we said about the Calgary second period, it's it's ugly. Maybe a park and ride situation to quote our old coach there, but <laughs> they got to, You know, you I I don't like the whole oh you got to play sixty minutes of hockey thing that gets thrown around the league because I just you can't perform well for sixty minutes in a game. I truly believe that the teams are that good. The parity in the league. It's ebbs and flows. It's it's peaks and valleys every game, and it's how you deal with the valleys, right? And the right. King, the Kings yeah. did not deal very well with the valleys of the second period because Calgary. It was just an onslaught. It was. I, I'm almost surprised they only got four on quick, you know. And, and <laughs> yeah. And one thing that stood out to me is that Forbert and McDermott were really fighting it, and it's not just last game. You know, they've been fighting it. It seems the last stretch here, and that kind of goes into our next topic here we, we mentioned it last episode that the kings would likely be looking at a top four defenseman because it's, it's becoming more and more obvious and now uh it's not just one game like i said but now it's it's almost like that has to be their target at the deadline yeah it, once you get past you know they, they've been trying to kind of patchwork this thing with with dowdy and you know because he pair him with Forbert and then maybe uh, Muzzin and Martinez can make up a decent second pairing, but they've been trying, you know, like you said, with, uh, with McDermott and, and even Foline and Gravel came up for a little bit and I actually like Gravel. I think he should get a little bit more uh, looks, but as far as consistent, you know, going in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that they need to at least try and add one, one more piece on that blue line more so than the forward position. Cause with, uh, you know, Jeff Carter, hopefully coming back healthy, um, and the resurgence of guys like Brown and Toffoli being uh, close to, you know, should be a 30 goal scorer this year and, uh, Gabrick playing well. Uh, I think the forward position is, is fine, but yeah, I would add it, definitely add one more piece on the blue line. Yeah. And we'll kind of get into that a little in a little while where we're talking about what we want to see added at the deadline and all that. But speaking of our offense, offense is looking good. Although Andre Kopitar, um, Cooling off a bit, uh, last episode he was 8th in scoring, today he sits 13th in scoring, and that's not a huge drop-off, but historically he kind of goes through a stretch or two every season where his numbers kind of dip, uh, but one thing about this season is even though in the last stretch here his numbers have kind of dipped, he still looks like a pretty effective player every game, and, and prior to this, he in those stretches he would almost completely disappear, it was almost like you didn't there were stretches where you just didn't even notice him, but uh, this right. season, I don't think it's like that. And that's, to me, at least a silver lining. I think this is one of the best seasons he's had in his entire career. Uh, and hopefully he picks it up offensively. But like I said, it's good to see that he's a presence every single game. Yeah. And, and I've said so many times before, this guy is, he's a top, uh, top center in any situation imaginable, whether you're, uh, up on the power play, you're down five on three, you're trying to score a goal to tie it up late, or you're trying to defend the lead late with the goalie pulled, uh, face-offs, shutting down the other team's best player. Every single imaginable situation that I can think of, I'd say Anze Kopitar would be a great center uh, to, to plug in that hole. And yeah, his, his offense is definitely uh, improved. He looks like he's I remember last year especially, he just became so predictable. I knew every time he get the puck, he'd enter the zone, he'd go wide, he'd kind of dip his shoulder protecting the puck, he'd skate around the net and try and center it to somebody. And it just became so predictable. He wouldn't go for the net. He wouldn't try and beat guys one-on-one, -on -one, I think, as much. And this year, maybe it's just, again, with the coaching. Just He looks more confident. He's getting consistent line mates, too, that helps. I remember at one point last year, he was playing with... Uh, Dwight King and Trevor Lewis, <laughs> yeah. so you can't blame him for not necessarily getting a, a lot of, of points. Um, so it, consistency helps. Other players playing better helps. The coaching, uh, loosening up the reins a little bit helps. Uh, yeah, overall, I, he's he's got to be back in the conversation as 
you know, top three, four, five centers uh, in all of the NHL. Is he your Selkie winner halfway through? I had, it's. I mean, it's that's such a tough award because what, what does that even mean? Like, you know, top defensive for it. I would right. give it to him, but but I haven't watched, you know, the traditional – I don't watch every Bruins games for the traditional guys like Bergeron and Taves and uh, guys like that who get consideration as well. But like I said – there isn't a single situation I can think of that I wouldn't put Anze Kopitar in. He's he's just an all around all around player. Um, Got to be at least top two or three in the game. Agreed. I think he'll be a Selkie finalist um, right now. I would give it to him, and that's strictly because I think Bergeron's defensive metrics are still off the charts. No question. I think Taves has had a down year, but those two guys offensively just haven't really had it, and I think. Kopi has maybe that gives him mm-hmm. the edge i mentioned sean couturier l- last episode he's having a good year so I, I at the very least i expect him to be a selkie finalist uh he won his selkie you know doing less in my opinion yeah two seasons yeah. ago so uh but yeah his line mates definitely have helped and that kind of brings me to alex Ayafalo, who hasn't been his line mate for the last two games because he's been a healthy scratch in favor of andy andrioff um John Stevens kind of mentioned it, it's more of a rest thing because he's a college player. He's not used to the schedule. But you got to think, man, that only having two goals on the season, playing mostly in the top six, that's got to that's gotta be a part of it, right? Yeah, and, and what's so crazy, too, I was just looking at the Kings' stats uh, before we started here. As far as five-on-five goals, they're the fifth best in the league with 98. So they score a lot five-on-five. And uh, both Kobitar and Brown are having fantastic seasons. So you would think by default that Ayafala would pick up uh, a handful of assists here and there, maybe a goal bouncing in here and there. But yeah, just the overall production just isn't there, which is, is just very bizarre. And uh, I, I agree with Stevens. You know, these guys, they go from playing juniors in college. They play one or two games a week, 30, 40 games a season. And then all of a sudden they're in the NHL. And it's it's a huge, huge difference. Um, so yeah, I mean, he sits up in the box for a few games, gets a few looks, gets some rest, comes back a little bit stronger. You can hope so. Cause he's one of the, between him and Kempe, one of the good younger players that the Kings hopefully can, can continue to build around over the next couple seasons. Right. And he's the type of player that, I mean, I guess if you break it down in a perfect world, he'd probably be on your third line, you know, uh, with a guy like Adrian Kempe, maybe in the middle, uh, but obviously it's not a perfect world with Jeff Carter out the Kings, you know, right. before the season, their solution, I guess, to that left wing position on top was Camilleri. Uh, <laughs> we, I think we all kind of foresaw how that would go and it went exactly like that. One thing maybe we were right about for once, you know, yeah. I, mean, I know you, especially, uh, watching your videos and stuff. I don't think you were very excited about that <laughs> acquisition by any means. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I mean, just because I didn't think that that, that was necessarily what the Kings needed. Um, it didn't cost them a whole lot, and it wasn't lo- sure. long-term. And then, crazy enough, when they traded him for UC Jokin, and I was actually pretty pissed off because I thought that was even more of a downgrade. Like, you know, Cam Larry's not going to put up the points, but I thought he could at least keep up with the, the skating and stuff. And, uh, you know, at times he was on the first, second line, third line. I think by the time he got traded, he did get a few looks on the power play and stuff. But Jokinen, by no, I mean he's he's a fourth line player. He's that that's what he is, and he can't skate um, nearly as good as I think as Camilleri. So I don't know. They they I wasn't a huge fan of the signing, but I was actually a little upset when they traded him. Yeah, you know, it's funny, man. Like he looked slow to me, and it's it wasn't so much um, that he looked slow in comparison to everyone else, but. He looks slow in comparison to the Michael Camilleri I remembered, which is natural. I mean, he's he's mm-hmm. getting up there in age and all that. And when I see Jokinen, it's almost like he's about the same speed, maybe Cammy has as a step on him or whatever. But the big difference has been that Jokinen, you could plug him into your bottom six where Camilleri probably should have been. And obviously, mm-hmm. Camilleri didn't really want that. He thought he had more to offer and all that as the story goes, as it's come out over over time here but yeah i mean i just think it was a move where everyone slotted in a little better the kings had more flexibility on the bottom six and it was the emergence of the player that we were just talking about alex Ayafalo, right that kind of made cami expendable and, and you could now kind of shore up your bottom six which has been a work in progress as well so 
Hopefully for Ayafalo, yeah. he does come back soon here. I'm sure he will. He's an effective player. He's shown that, and hopefully the numbers uh, come along as well. Um, so looking ahead for the Kings schedule here, um, they have Nashville uh, tomorrow night, and that's going to be an interesting game. Nashville, you know, they've looked much, much better ever since that Kyle Turris trade. Uh, what a great trade that was for them. And now they look like a deep, deep team, even though, surprise, surprise, Vegas beat them recently. <laughs> Shocker, right? Um, yeah, they taking care of everybody. Good grief. Yeah, and then after that Nashville game, the Kings have their, I guess, mandatory week off that the NHL implemented uh, last season. So it'll be a long stretch between games. They'll have Nashville tomorrow, and then a whole week later they'll have Anaheim. So looking ahead at the Nashville game, they'll be at home uh, it'll be a good game. I mean, any predictions? <laughs> Let's play the prediction <laughs> game. What's your prediction for well, that one? Nashville definitely, like like I said, I like you said, ever since they got Kyle Turris with, with Johansson, Turris, and uh, Nick Benino up the, up the middle, and that blue line has got to be one of the, if not the best, you know, top two or three blue lines in all the NHL, and then of course Pecorino and Goal. They're pretty much, you know, uh, solid at every single position. Um, their home record's phenomenal. Kind of average on the road. Maybe the Kings um, can, can, you know, take advantage of that. Uh, Kings have a good home record as well. So it'll be a close one. Uh, both these teams, I don't know, they, they they seem pretty similar to me with, with what they have. You know, quality uh, Norris Trophy caliber defensemen, Vezina Trophy caliber uh, goalies and uh, pretty good centers up the middle, so it'd be, it'd be a close one. So I don't know. We'll say we'll say three two Kings. We got to go for the home team. I like it. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> three two Kings. I think that's a good one. Uh, Kings when they score three, they're usually money, right? Uh, except the last night against Calgary when, <laughs> yeah. when they were down four two and they got that third one late. But yeah, it's it, it's funny. Uh, three goals is that magic number, and Daryl Sutter still rings true man it's a 3-2 league i think that that means more that if you get to three you're probably okay um and yeah, hopefully yeah. The, the kings can get to three uh so we are at at the halfway point of the season right now it's crazy how fast this thing went by uh really really totally. nutty right um so i guess at the halfway point what uh what's your biggest surprise uh for this team so far Biggest surprise, I had, you know, we talked about him already, but I'll, I'll say again, the the resurgence of Dustin Brown. I just, I remember thinking, well, all right, we're stuck with this guy because no one's going to take on that contract of his yeah. for the next five years still, I think he has, or three years, four, I don't know, whatever it is. It's a, it's a long time, <laughs> yeah, 5.8 million bucks. And like I said, like I, I, I literally remember last year just watching him skate down the ice and trip over his feet and just think, my gosh, what happened to you, Dustin? You, you, you were, you know, the first king to hoist the Stanley Cup. You were such an effective player during both those Cup runs, and just lost all his confidence, lost the captaincy. And for him to come back this year, and a, a big reason for that, I think, uh, has to do with the coaching, um, giving him the confidence that uh, you know he, he refined his confidence and everything. But yeah, like you said, he's, this guy's gonna be a twenty goal scorer once again, which is which is great news. And I never never would have you know bet money on that. Dustin Brown having the season that he is right now. Yeah, I mean, he is the surprise of the season. I'm not even gonna argue with you, but I, just for the sake of not giving the same answer, I guess uh, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised at, at Adrian Kempe's offensive numbers. Uh, to tell you the truth, so I guess I'll put him at the B uh, for the biggest surprise and. You know, you always have high hopes for a first-round pick. Uh, but last season, he, he had a significant amount of time in the NHL. The numbers just quite weren't there. And and then in the preseason this season, he just he did not look good to me. He just didn't look confident at all. And then suddenly, right after that Montreal game when he put up the hat trick, mm -hmm. it's like something clicked in his head. And he, he's starting to attack with confidence. Obviously, the Jeff Carter injury in a roundabout, a sad way, you know, gives him real good looks with real good players to Foley Pearson. He gets top six minutes now with Gabrick. He's playing a lot. And to me, it's a surprise, man. It's a surprise how good, how well he's playing. And the Kings absolutely needed that uh, from him. They absolutely needed this secondary scoring from some, from someone who is coming within your system, right? You didn't have to spend assets to get him. You didn't have to make a trade. You didn't have to throw around prospects and picks to get someone to give you depth depth scoring so i'll throw his name in the hat there too man just because um i just didn't 
expect him to to be a 20 goal scorer uh going into yeah. the season it was we hoped right we hoped that he would get there we saw the potential but uh good on him for making the most of his opportunity now if he just stays out of the box a little bit <laughs> and, and get some yeah. more time i, I think you know we were talking about about developing him and not having to give up assets and stuff that's that's the way it should be and that's the you know was the king's mold for so long and then towards the end of that um sutter and lombardi run um i mean just other than Kempe, what other draft pick has even worked out other than Tanner Pearson? I mean, you got to go back like five years or so, you know, excluding Kempe. And you look at uh, the Kings draft, and they haven't used any of the the players that they've drafted at right. the NHL yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad that hopefully that continues to be the trend with uh, Velarde and stuff. You know, just continue to draft. Don't give up that first-round pick. Keep these prospects coming. Because um, sooner or later, I mean, these guys aren't going to play forever, and you got to replace them. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of Gabe Velarde, he recently got dealt um, from the Windsor Spitfire, excuse me. And I think he went to the Kingston Frontiacs. Um, kind of an interesting start uh, ever since he got drafted. I know it's not his pro career, but it's been kind of a whirlwind few months for this kid, if you really think about it. I mean, he gets. You know, it's draft day. He's he's expected to go top five. He drops to 11. Uh, good for us, obviously. And then after that, yeah. uh, he gets he's a, he has a significant back injury that he doesn't skate for months, right? He he's not on the ice, and suddenly you're kind of thinking, oh man, you know, is he injury prone? Uh, he gets cleared to play finally, and he gets dealt that day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. To, welcome back. Yeah, welcome back to the Kingston Funny accent. And an interesting quote actually from. Uh, Warren Reichel on why he made the trade. He actually said, I am 99% sure that Gabe Velarde will be in the NHL next season, and therefore we made the trade in order to get uh, players that could help us over here because they felt, you know, Velarde will be gone, you know, next season. And I that really jumped out to me, man, because there's, you know, when with a player like this, there's no clear indication when he's making the jump to the NHL. You just assume it's going to be in two or two to three years, whatever, when he matures his game. But to get that kind of, I don't know, prediction from Warren Reichel that he'll be in the NHL next season, that really, really caught my attention. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fantastic for the Kings. Just thinking about um, if he sticks at his center position uh, with, with uh, Kobitar, Carter, and then him at the, the third line center and Maybe you can um, slide someone like Kempe over to a wing, and all of a sudden Kings are looking looking pretty good in, in lines one through three with some offense and some a little bit of younger talent there, a little bit of speed and stuff. That would be fantastic. So yeah, that's good. That's good news for Kings fans. I mean, I would. I mean, that means he's good enough to play, right? The Kings, I don't think, are the type of organization to throw someone in the fire and be like, figure it out. You know, I, I think yeah. they. they <laughs> I think they're the type of organization, the way they're structured, that they take their time with these kids. Um, I'm still skeptical, Warren Reichel. Uh, I know you're not listening to this show, but I'm still skeptical. I'll say, you know, because the thing is, he can't go pro. I'm, mm. As in, he can't go to the AHL. I mean, he could he could go to the NHL, yes. but So it'll be an interesting thing to see. And like you said, man, imagine the depth on the, on the Kings if he makes it uh, on this team because... At that point, you would think one of Kempe or Velarde is moving to the wing. Um, yeah. Just because the Kings, all of a sudden, you, I don't think you could go Kopitar, Carter, Kempe, Velarde down the middle. It's just, that's kind of yeah. nutty. You need some kind of role players down there. You need guys who who are good checkers, uh, like a Nick Shore, even though we're kind of down on him um, this season. I, I had big expectations for him. I don't know why. Jack, I don't know why. <laughs> well, he put up decent numbers in the AHL, and I think right. sometimes people get a little excited. They see someone putting up numbers in the AHL, they automatically assume that when they transition to the NHL, those numbers will continue. But uh, totally different game, different players, different players you're playing against, playing with systems and all that. So, yeah, Nick Shore. I, I remember when he first came up uh, when with the whole Mike Richards fiasco. Yeah. And, I had yeah, I was with you. had high expectations. And I mean, he's, he's turned into a, a, a decent third, fourth-line player. But, it, I mean, let's be honest, that's what he's going to be. Yeah, I think he's gotten a lot of looks offensively, right? That's the thing that I think frustrates most Kings fans is that there's been three or four times that I remember where it's just Nick Shore and the goalie. And... And he hasn't been able to put it in. And 
I wouldn't be as frustrated if it weren't for what you just brought up is that he was almost a point of game player in the AHL at some point. And, you know, you he works hard. He's a good face-off guy. I, I trust him in defensive situations. But at some point, you got to be like, Nick, please just bury that puck, you know, <laughs> at opportune <laughs> times. And, and that's that's been the frustrating part. But you know what? We'll give him some time. Not like it's up to us anyway. But uh, before, yeah. before we completely write him off... Uh, Hopefully he finds some kind of scoring touch because I think the rest of his game is is rounding out okay. Like last night he made a beauty pass to Derek Forbert. Uh, Forbert didn't score on the play, but it was a three on two rush and he he made this nice almost no look backhand pass and Forbert just streaked down the middle on a three on two. He missed the net completely, but that would have put the Kings up three nothing. But I've always thought he's a good passer. I've always thought he sees the ice real well, and hopefully mm-hmm. he could just start putting it in the net, man, because. This is the NHL now. All four lines need to score. And if he's not careful, man, with the depth the Kings have now and with rumors of Gabriel Velarde, you know, possibly playing next season, uh, he could be on the outs real quick and it it would be a shame for him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's the tricky part about when you finally make it to the NHL, too, is, well, there's uh, unless you're one of the big superstar players, then if you're someone like a Nick Shore, you got guys like Kopitar and Carter in front of you and you're not taking their ice time away. So you have to really take advantage of the minutes you get. That's 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 definitely true. Yeah. So when you reach the halfway point of the season, you start thinking about the trade deadline. And before you know it, it'll be time. And obviously for the Kings, uh, they're hoping that the big trade deadline acquisition for them will be Jeff Carter coming off injury. Uh, I dare say that would be the best acquisition if you put it up against any team because you're not going to find players like Jeff Carter available at the deadline. Uh, although there have been, there's a lot of noise right now, man. I don't know. I'm sure you've been following and names like uh, Mike Hoffman out of Ottawa. Suddenly his name is in the rumors. Max Pacioretty who's had a pretty much dreadful season his name is in the rumors uh so i guess my question to you is what would you like to see added at the deadline and if there's anyone specifically uh you would want to see added who would they be yeah well like we said uh, uh, a top four defenseman easier said than done i think to acquire those because once teams get those they're, they're a little hesitant to trade them and you got to give equal value away for those as well as we saw sure. with like Anaheim with Votnin and uh, Henrique this year. Um, so I think if they can find a, a decent top four defenseman, that would be probably priority one. But other than that, yeah, the Max Pacioretty rumors are very intriguing. Thinking about him <laughs> playing with someone like Kopitar or even Jeff Carter uh, and his contract is pretty manageable. I think he's uh, at around four and a half or five right. uh, over the next year or two. And, um, so yeah, he would definitely be a name. I heard Evander Kane floated a few times. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be a huge fan of that. I just he just flat out hasn't had success, or the teams he's played for haven't had success. He's had success, but the teams he's played for hasn't had success. I don't know. Blame that on him or whatever. But um, so yeah, it's, Max Pacioretty. It'd be a decent look, but uh, be hesitant to be giving away first round picks and stuff because then they'd be the Kings would be right back to square one like they were a couple years ago with not having any young players to come up and fill those positions. Um, so top four defensemen, if they can fill in a little bit more scoring on the wing. But like you said, to start off this, uh, Jeff Carter getting back healthy, that that's going to be such a huge boost for the Kings. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pacioretty, his, like, exactly like you said, man, his contract makes him intriguing because he has, mm. he's at 4.5 and he has one more year after this. So that, right. that's okay. a manageable contract for someone who usually is good for 20 to 30 goals i don't know if it's going to happen this season but that's it's been a nightmare scenario in montreal in general right i mean that's yeah there's something going on there and i I think we said in our preseason show it's like there's something that just is not right with that team i think mark bergevin has a lot to do with it uh I, i don't think there is confidence there i think his his recent trades i mean suban for weber wasn't exactly you know, it didn't really thrill the fan base. Uh, and then and then the Drouin for Sergachev, and Sergachev goes out, and he's having an amazing season. And not that Drouin is, is bad or anything, but now you look on the other side at Sergachev, and you're like, ooh, uh, did <laughs> was that the right call to make that trade? I think the fan base has soured on him a little bit. I think 
Carey Price's nightmare start didn't help, obviously. So there's something that just mm. seems off with Montreal. And suddenly now Max Pacioretty is, is in the rumor mill. So I would explore it, man, if I were the Kings, just because it's such a manageable contract. Um, and the Kings, you know, they have a little bit of cap space. And, and then the cap, thanks to the monstrous uh, success that is the Vegas Golden Knights, looks like it's going yeah. even more up next season. So it's something to explore for sure. But a name I've heard in terms of top 4D, and this has just been on Twitter and rumors, whatever, is Mike Green uh, from Detroit. Any thoughts on hmm. the possibility of Mike Green being added to the Kings? Well, he's definitely would bring, you know, uh, help out on the Kings power play, which if, if we're going to critique, you know, get on about one thing, their power play has, you know, it's around 18%. I think it's not overly impressive. Someone like that helping move the puck on the second unit uh, would, would be good. Um, yeah, I mean, he, it's, I don't know. He, I don't know how he would fit into the LA Kings. You know, we, we just think of LA as this defensive monster that doesn't give anything up and i don't know if mike green fits that mold i've always been a pretty big mike green fan i like those defensemen that don't just stay in one spot that can skate and move the puck and aren't afraid to try things um that'd be a fan of his i don't know what his his is this uh his last year in detroit last uh this must be his last year on his contract it is he'll be a free agent in the summer and his cap it is at six million um (sighs) I think that's a situation where the Kings can probably ask for some salary to be retained if Detroit feels right. that they're not, uh, if Detroit feels like they're not going to move forward with signing him. And Detroit is just they, they're not going anywhere. Nope. <laughs> I think they're they're going to need to like sell off some of these these older players. So it, it's, I guess it's a possibility. And if you can get him at half his contract, maybe, and I don't know, throw throw in some prospects maybe a, a second round pick I don't, again at the deadline it's so crazy because they're you know they're gonna ask for a first rounder no matter what that's like the starting yeah. point like i don't care who it is mike green first rounder right it's like automatic yeah. so I'm, I'm with you top four defenseman i think is the priority for this team crystal tang man have you heard about this uh on twitter and stuff yeah that his name is out there not not that i'm advocating for the kings to take on that contract or anything but you know a season ago who would have thought crystal tang might be dealt fairly soon here yeah that's 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 a crazy one to me because it, it, pittsburgh isn't i mean they just won the stanley cup like they're not that far off i know they're not having the best season now but you don't replace someone like chris Latang. you don't it's just you'd have to get an even one for one something back and i don't know what team's going to give up uh, another top defenseman for uh chris Latang. yeah i don't know i think that one might be a little bit of a rumor mill, but who knows? I mean, who knows? Every player is tradable, every single one of them. As we've learned, as Kings fans especially, yes. we have learned this. Uh, his injury history makes the Penguins make maybe see him as more movable than before. He has a long, long contract, $7.25 million until 21-22. So just, wow. like, just like that, he's probably not an option for the Kings or anything, but... yeah. You know, especially it, with his history of injuries, exactly. too, that I'd be hesitant to take that on. Exactly. So I guess it's more of a Penguins are going to explore all this and and see see where they go with it. But yeah, so there you have it. We I think a top six forward would be nice, but the priority, as you said, would be a top four defenseman for the Kings, and hopefully, the top six forward they're looking for is Jeff Carter coming back sooner than later, and then add a top four defenseman and maybe you know limit the minutes of a guy of guys like forbert guys like mcdermott and shelter them more a little bit so uh i guess since we're at the halfway point um if you had to pick an mvp jack mvp for the kings Mm -hmm. who would it be um originally i was probably thinking like uh drew dowdy just because the season the minutes that he logs but uh, after a little bit more closer examination uh the kings give up uh, total this year, 1,307 shots, which is 11th uh, worst, I guess, in the league. They, so the, the Kings give up quite a few shots. And Jonathan Quick's stats this year are just absolutely incredible. 0.928 save percentage, 2.26 goals against. Um, so I would probably give it to him right now. He can, with numbers like that, and we've seen him this year already, keep L.A. in the game uh, time and time again. They don't, the, the L.A. gives up quite a few shots, and he's there to stop them. Um, and Kemper's providing great backup uh, goaltending as well. Okay, solid, solid. So I, I would say Jonathan Quick right now, which 
it's it's just crazy. I was sitting here thinking about it, how we both thought, you know, we're talking about the Kings not making the playoffs when we were doing our season predictions. And uh, we already said, you know, uh, chance of Kopitar winning the Selk this year. Dowdy, good chance of winning the Norris this year. Uh, quick, good chance of winning the Vezina this year. That's that's a pretty good core to have, right? Uh, phenomenal number one center, phenomenal number one uh, defenseman, and a phenomenal starting goalie. So, uh, yeah, good good news for the Kings. But I would go with Jonathan Quick. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it's not as close as you would think, man. He's just been absolutely outstanding. You know, I was, uh, just like everyone else, I thought Peter Budai last season did a great job and everything. But I would really get frustrated when people would be like, well, if, you know, if Quick was here, it would be the same thing. I just don't believe that. I don't be- It's not. It's not even about making saves and all that and i'm not in the locker room or around the team or whatever but like you i have played hockey in my life and i know what it's like when one of your best players isn't on the ice and even though you have someone else who's maybe is good but not as good it it really does affect your team and that's that's kind of where i came from with my mentality is like yes peter budai did an admirable job but there were games where i was like man if quick was in in net right now he would make a save that he wasn't supposed to make and and that's right. and you don't really blame Peter Budai for those goals right but you know that if it was a world class goaltender instead that maybe he makes a save he's not supposed to make and, and things like that and obviously the effect he has on the team's confidence is cannot be understated right and that's kind of what right. I was touching on earlier so to me I'm with you man I I don't think it's close at all I think it's Jonathan Quick he's yeah. he's been amazing he's I think he's stolen games here and there for the Kings. He's made saves that have been in the highlight reel variety. And to me, he's he's hands down the Kings' most important player right now. Yeah. And it like you said, it can't be under you know understated how, how important that goalie is back there. Because it changes how you play. You know, if you got a guy back there and you know that, you know, okay, this isn't this isn't quick. This is Budai. We got to play different. We got to, uh, you know, try and really focus on the defensive side of things. And it definitely changes the way that uh, that teams play. And also giving up that bad goal. Like, yes. no, boy, that's so demoralizing. You're out there working your butt off, skating up and down, taking the hits, trying to get in the right positions to score. And then some little, you know, flutters goes in or something. And that's just so demoralizing. So, yeah. Goaltending, it's a huge, huge, huge part of hockey. It is, it is. And yeah, man, hopefully uh, John the Quick continues this way. Hopefully he's a Vesna finalist, like you said. And hopefully... He's got to be. He's, he's got to be yeah, at least a nominee. <laughs> he's got to be at this point. I think Vasilevsky's having just an outstanding season. I think if mm-hmm. maybe he's the favorite for the Vesna right now, just because he's been so good and that team's been so good. But, you know, it, it, it's funny. Sometimes you... You hear other podcasts, you listen to other people, and it's almost like Jonathan Quick's become an afterthought in this league. And and all, all people do is they look at his save percentage and whatever, and over the last few seasons, and it hasn't been as good as his you know eleven twelve season or anything like that. But they just kind of write him off, and it's a travesty, man. It's a travesty that yeah. at this point, like some people don't view him as like a top five goalie, which is absolutely ridiculous to me because yeah. well, they, have, they use the ex, they use the excuse that well he plays for the Kings and the Kings don't give up a lot, so it's easier for him to make saves, which I don't buy at all because like I, I just said, the Kings give up a lot of shots per game. He's just he's he's a good goalie. He is he is, and hopefully he continues this streak and. Yeah, man. Uh, Jack, thank you for joining me, man. Where can people see? Hey, no some, problem. Yeah, when, where can people see some of your stuff? Because I'm a big fan of your videos on YouTube. I think they're very entertaining. I check them out whenever I can, and uh, yeah, just uh, let people know because I want to share this with them, man. So let them yeah, know where we, they can so find I, you. I do uh, hockey videos about uh, well, it, it depends. What, what, what big news stories or trades, stuff like that. Just give my opinion on stuff on YouTube, Jack Molly Hockey Show. Uh, just go check it out. Once a week, uh, I do a live stream um, on YouTube where we do a live show, hit a few events that have taken place over the course of the week. And uh, once I plow through a few of the topics, about 20 minutes or so, I open up Skype. You can call in on Skype and you know we, we chat hockey for five or six minutes like a, like a radio call-in show. Um, haven't done that in the past two weeks. The Christmas break I got got a little sidetracked. But Call of Duty World War II, and I, you know, <laughs> had an unhealthy addiction to that game for like a week. But nice. we're gonna get back on track next week. So yeah, check it out. Usually every Thursday nights is when we do it. Great man. And where can they follow you on Twitter? 
Um, you know what? I can't, what is my Twitter handle? Uh, just <laughs> just <laughs> just look up uh, Jack Malay Hockey. I think is what it is. And uh, uh, yeah, I usually follow mostly Kings fans. Try and keep it mostly hockey and Kings related. Uh, so yeah, every now and then I, I troll some some big name people, but that's that's about it. that's what Twitter's for, right? I mean, <laughs> absolutely. If we can't have fun on Twitter, where can we have fun, man? You know, that's that, yeah. that, that's my mentality. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Thank you again. It was a pleasure to have you on. Hopefully, we can do it again in the future. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and for us, uh, you can follow us at the Bannerman Pod. Our website is bannermanpodcast.com. You can hear us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Anywhere and everywhere you can listen to a podcast, you can find the Bannerman. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.